Wednesday night, primetime news. Israeli President Isaac Herzog presents his long-awaited compromise to the judicial overhaul. A few hours later, the compromise platform is rejected by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Judicial overhaul legislation continues. This week on What Matters Now, we learn how the new legislation could affect issues of religion and state. I'm hesitant to use the term dictatorship, and I'm hesitant to use the term theocracy. But even if it's not going to be a Jewish theocracy, it's going to get as close to it as they can get away with. That's attorney and reform rabbi Uri Regev, the head of Chidush for Religious Freedom and Democracy. I first met Uri in 2015 when Chidush represented an excommunicated Haredi woman in the Supreme Court. Prophetically, Uri said to me in 2015, it starts and ends with people fighting for the Declaration of Independence. This week, we hear what matters now to Uri Regev. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Uri, thank you so much for joining me here today in our Jerusalem offices on this surprisingly rainy day here. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine, and I hope our listeners, as we discuss right now, how the proposed judicial overhaul is going to affect your field, which is religion and state. So, Uri, I ask you today, what matters now? Well, but first, as to the pleasure, I'm not sure whether listening to me would give people pleasure or indigestion. Uh, but <laughs> this, be warned. <laughs> yeah, but this is this goes right to the heart of what matters now. You know, nothing other than uh, this is the biggest crisis, domestic crisis. I recall in the decades that I've been uh, around uh, and active, uh, nothing like it before, and I hope nothing will happen in the future that resembles it. Now, in our years of speaking to each other over religion and state matters, we've faced the Western Wall crisis. We've faced all sorts of different things of religion and state. But you're saying that the judicial overhaul is the biggest crisis facing issues of religion and state today. And not because it's the judicial overall, but because of what stands behind the judicial overall. I think the judicial overall, I would call it, you know, a masquerade party, uh, because much of what you hear covers something else behind it. And we are 
at times, I think, misled to believe that what people say is what is really um, guiding them and motivating them. There are very few people among those who are pushing this overall that are genuinely and seriously concerned about the fine points of the judicial system in Israel. Uh, it's an excuse to try and move out of the way the only obstacle that the two groups that have joined together and by joining together have now been able to master a majority. What are the two groups? The two groups are the extreme right-wing group. And I want to be very clear on that. Uh, we at Chidush are not involved in partisan politics Uh, nor are we in the crucial matters of peace, settlements, um, the uh, security, um, economic philosophies, etc. We created Chidush um, back about 12 years with the sole purpose of advancing the promise of Israel's declaration of independence for religious freedom or freedom of religion and conscience and equality regardless of religion. So when I'm saying extreme right-wingers, I'm not saying that to mean criticism of a right-wing approach to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or Jewish-Arab conflict. Uh, I'm saying that there are extreme right-wingers, and I'll say a word about what I mean by that, and those who still have not given up on the notion of bringing Israel in the direction of a Torah state, of a theocracy. Uh, the two are different. They are only very partially overlapping. But the fact that these two groups have found themselves together, linked in a coalition that gives them 64, this meager, this, this tiny majority, uh, but the one that is enough in order to reverse the course and turning Israel away from being a Jewish democratic state into being a Jewish and Jewish state. And Jewish and Jewish is misleading because this isn't Jewish as most of your listeners uh, take Jude Jewish to be or Judaism to be. This is Jewish as in the most extreme fundamentalist ultra-Orthodox interpretation. So you feel that we're facing a theocracy, essentially? I don't think so. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the term dictatorship. And I'm hesitant to use the term theocracy. Uh, I actually had uh, a great intellectual experience many, many years ago when I studied uh, at the philosophy department at Tel Aviv University, a course on Jewish theocracy with the late Professor Gershon Weiler, who wrote a book titled Theokratia Yehudit, Jewish Theocracy. So theocracy really never existed. So it's a it's an it's an ethos it's a theme, but uh, but even if it's not going to be a Jewish theocracy, it's going to get as close to it as they can get away with, and they can get away with a lot, and and I'll hint as to what I mean because the reality is that on the one hand the rhetoric of those who promote the reform quote unquote. Those who promote it say that they are speaking in the name of the people, we the people, then in the name of democracy, in the name of the majority that, uh, you know, this poor majority who has been, uh, you know, his hands has been tied behind its back. It wasn't able to do what the majority wants to do you know, because of this 
judicial dictatorship, which is the uh, label uh, that they uh, often use. Uh, the, uh, uh, the reality is that all the issues that are on the agenda now in terms of the uh, religious parties, the Haredi parties, on the legislative docket uh, that are still waiting in line, all of them, without exception, are rejected, opposed to by the overwhelming majority of the adult Jewish population in Israel. There isn't one which the majority supports. The irony is that the majority of the Likud voters oppose it. And nevertheless, these two groups have found common interest and they realize they need each other in order to do what they would like, which is anti-democratic, against the will of the majority, and undermining Israeli democracy. Okay, let's break it down a little yes. bit and give some uh, very solid examples. Let's be concrete. <laughs> let's Tachles. be concrete. Yes. Tachles, the best word in Hebrew. So let's talk about some of the issues that yes. you are always fighting for. And just I'll pick one out of the air, uh, civil marriage. Well, Yes, civil marriage is, in my view, the most important uh, representation of the conflict over religion and state. Uh, but that actually is not coming under the current uh, judicial overall. Um, so I'll say a word about marriage and I'll tell you what does come under it. So with regard to marriage, uh, you may know we have just marked a landmark victory in the Supreme Court uh, that ordered the state uh, to register as married uh, the couples who have already married via the online marriage platform that was created in Utah uh, by Utah County, a real pioneering effort. Uh, that has helped couples all over the world, homosexual couples in China, not just the, uh, you know, many Israeli couples who cannot get married. Um, and if you if you want, we can, you know, talk about that. But the, the, the issue is that hundreds of thousands of Israeli citizens are denied the basic right of marriage. 1948, you know, May 14th, the State of Israel is founded, promises, freedom of religion and conscience, equality regardless of religion. December 10th, 1948, the UN adopts the Universal Declaration on Human Rights. One of those cherished rights is the right to family, the right to marry. The State of Israel does not hold the right of marriage as a right of its citizens. And it is the only Western democracy in the world that does not uphold the right to marry. And as a result, as I said, we estimate somewhere between 600,000 and 700,000 Israeli citizens cannot marry at all in Israel because marriage has been handed over to the religious authorities, um, not just Jewish, the other religious authorities, but in the case of Jewish, of the Jewish community, it's only the Orthodox that, has, that have the authority to marry and impose the restrictions. So if you are a Russian Ole or Ola, whose father is Jewish and your mother is not Jewish, yes, you come to Israel under the law of return, but no, you cannot legally marry in Israel. If you are a reform convert or conservative convert or a modern Orthodox convert, such as, uh, you know, Rabbi Haskell Lukstein's converts, uh, not the famous one that hasn't made Aliyah yet, but others that have made Aliyah, they can't get married in Israel. You're talking about Ivanka Trump being yes, the famous that's one. that's right. Yes. But others have, and they couldn't get married until they reconverted in Israel. 
<laughs> so those converts can't get married in Israel. They all can receive Israeli citizenship under the law of return. None of them can marry legally in Israel. And of course, same-sex couples and uh, and others. So this is a bad situation that isn't going to get worse, but what is going to get worse related so to So what's this? on the agenda now? First and foremost, the draft law. And the ultra-Orthodox parties have resisted all the attempts to try and you know, play a game, will pass a law that looks like it's aimed at drafting yeshiva students, but in truth, it won't uh, draft yeshiva students. But the mere fact that it creates the impression that they'll have to serve was enough to have them oppose it altogether. And worst yet, it includes some seemingly economic sanctions. You know, if yeshivas are not going to, uh, to cooperate, if they, the you know, individuals are going to dodge the draft, etc., we'll take away their subsidy. No, no, no. There can't be a penalty for studying Torah in Israel. Well, the reality is that the Supreme Court has already declared this law in its different reiterations as unconstitutional because of the seriousness that, that the the, the, the severity of the breach of the principle of equality that it introduces. Uh, and uh, as far as they are concerned, who cares about equality? Who cares about the court? We don't want even a sample, uh, you know, a symbolic number to be quoted in the law. As far as we are concerned, there is one principle that should govern, they say. No yeshiva students that doesn't want to serve will be forced to serve. No sanction against such a yeshiva student. Well, the reality is that the overwhelming majority of the public says, draft them. Some say draft them all. Some say draft them and leave only a small elite that could continue studying and be supported by the uh, national coffers, including the majority of the Likud voters. So how do you square the circle? With an override law. We, exactly <laughs> with an override law. So they've twisted the arms. And I have to say for the Likud's benefit, it's not about the Likud alone. Previous governments, left, center, and right, have been willing to sell the principle of equality, our dignity, our basic rights, such as the right to marry, such as gender equality, etc., willing to sell them out for the pittance of political uh, uh, support. Uh, and, and therefore, we are now 75 years into the life of the state with such a travesty of a massive, this one sector in the population, and I'm putting aside the, the Israeli-Arab conflict, that's a different story altogether. There's one sector that's immune from sharing in the defense of the country, and that's the uh, Haredi uh, sector, morally, religiously, and um, legally, unacceptable. That's just one example. There are other examples, the issue of core curriculum. And now the added three and a half billion shekels that's going to be handed over for schools that don't even pretend to teach core curriculum. Uh, and, and of course, there is, uh, you know, there are the issues of Shabbat and there are the issues of uh, gender equality that's going to be, uh, you know, moved backwards rather than forwards, etc. All of these issues that are high on the ultra-Orthodox agenda and have, over the years, the Supreme Court, with tremendous care, with tremendous 
I wouldn't say timidity, but they really, they postpone it and postpone it until there is no postponing. All of them have found one address, and that is the Supreme Court, because they've certainly been able to twist the arms of their political allies, as I said, left, right, and center. And therefore, the result is bring down the court. And here is the great irony, which its political partners are not speaking up, speaking aloud, and the opposition is not speaking aloud, other than ironically one, namely. So here in an editorial of Yated Neeman, Rabbi Moshe Gafni's uh, uh, daily paper, there is an editorial that says, yes, this battle to bring, you know, to neutralize uh, the Supreme Court is urgent and we are not going to give up. And, you know, Gafni himself said, if Netanyahu is going to waver on that, the next day he's not going to have a coalition. His, you know, his government will bring down his government. But the editorial goes on saying, don't misunderstand. You are loyal readers, don't think that with this judicial overall, matters are going to be corrected. No. As far as we are concerned, the court is illegitimate. Any court, neutralized or powerful. We believe that the sovereignty is not in the hands of the people. The sovereignty is in the hands of God. And we believe that only courts that govern according to halakha are legitimate courts. Uh, here we are in Jerusalem, and the chief rabbi of Jerusalem, Rabbi Amal, who is the former chief rabbi of Israel, wrote years ago, wrote a sort of a midrash, a homily, whatever, on the verse, about laws and ordinances. And he says, uh, the Supreme Court, Jews may not come to judgment before civil courts. Uh, the civil courts are heretical. Uh, it has to be only religious courts. And uh, so long uh, uh, as uh, this does not happen, you know, Jerusalem does not have, Jerusalem, namely Israel, does not have uh, the right to be called Kiryane Mana, you know, a loyal city, a loyal country. Uh, and he ends his message with, and he says, even if they democratically decide that there should be civil courts, that consent is illegitimate and unacceptable. And he ends his inspiring message with, uh, And may all evil be, uh, you know, consumed by smoke as you bring down this evil government from the face of the earth. Yes, we prayed on the high holidays. We never thought that this applies to the state of Israel as a Jewish democratic state. But I guess he sees it differently. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. 
You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. Let's take a few more really concrete yes. examples and uh, really bring it forth to our our listeners. What could be at stake here with this judicial overhaul? So let's talk about the Kotel. Okay. You know, there is a pending case before the Supreme Court that was brought by uh, the Reform and Conservative and Women of the Wall, and we actually also one of the petitioners. And uh, the uh, ruling is, uh, you know, is expected. What this does is... Whatever the ruling may be, and we hope the ruling will be in favor of freedom of worship, especially given the agreement that was signed with the government of Israel, etc. Whatever the uh, ruling is going to be, the coalition is going to, you know, wipe it out, you know, wipe it out. So any decision on pluralism, such as the wall, on women's equality, uh, on draft, on money, on education, uh, on Shabbat, on Kashrut, we, you know, the, the issue of the hospitals. Uh, we have another petition about, here is the irony that I'm sure your audience will appreciate. We brought a petition on behalf of Hidush and the Secular Forum regarding chametz in army bases on Pesach. Meaning uh, during Passover, the right to eat anything that has leavening in it, essentially. That's correct. Thank you for explaining. And... We are not suggesting that it be eaten in the dining hall. We are not suggesting that the army provide non-kosher food, you know, for Pesach. We are not suggesting that it be eaten in the uh, cafeterias. What we are saying is, why deny individuals, Jewish or not Jewish, the ability to have a sandwich in the privacy of their room? And that is exactly the case. And, you know, there have been searches and seizures and all kinds of things. The irony here is the chief military rabbinate is saying that would taint all food in the base. No religious uh, soldier will be able to serve uh, during Pesach. Uh, we'll have to erect a partition between the non-religious uh, soldier and the religious soldier in the joint office because, you know, the religious uh, soldier can't see uh, the non-religious uh, soldier you know, holding a sandwich. Now, what about the U.S. Army? What about students on campus in the dorms? There have been repeated rulings on the part of the Orthodox rabbinate the 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 uh, orthodox chaplains in the US army and rabbis uh, who serve the jewish students etc that the basic jewish law for pesach is you cannot possess chometz you cannot eat chometz but the fact that your neighbor has chometz and even if he eats it in front of you does not deter in the least your ability to observe kashrut so this is an expansion and an imposition of interpretation that's outside the scope of legitimate Jewish law. Why do they do it? Because they can. And with the judicial overall, even the court won't be able to stop it. 
Okay, so you're painting a very dire picture, obviously, and you're, as you said, painting a picture of a near theocracy that perhaps we are approaching. What are you hearing from diaspora Jews, or you travel quite a lot as part of your job, what are you hearing outside of Israel from Jewry? It's a tragedy, because all of that happens at a time when the Jewish community is drifting away. There is a growing gap, growing distance. The ties that held us together for my generation and my parents' generation the memory of the Six-Day War, the sort of immediate uh, sense uh, in our families of the Shoah, uh, the founding of the State of Israel for the younger generation, all of that does not apply. So what would hold them uh, you know, within the same tent? What would hold them feeling that there is a solidarity, that there is a bond which is more important than just reading the, uh, you know, the, the news about Israel. And I'm going back to it. So, so I said there are two, two elements that come together uh, that are pushing for this uh, judicial overall. One is the extremist uh, right wing, the, the messianic right wing, the uh, Smotrich and Ben Gvir type. And the other is the, uh, uh, the Torah state, uh, you know, orientation. With regard to the right wing, we need to understand that there is a systemic conflict here. We have done many surveys as part of our annual religion and state index and other surveys that we do. And what, was, what you see is that when you ask Israelis, where are you on the political spectrum Consistently in recent years, about 65% place themselves on the right of center, whereas only 15% place themselves on the left of center. Religiously, it's the reverse picture. Religiously, it's 65 to 70 to 75% who say, we support religious freedom, we support pluralism, we support free choice, and only about 30% that support status quo or even a greater religious uh, coercion or imposition or whatever. But when it comes to the political arena, the picture in the US that I know better than other Jewish communities uh, is the reverse. The majority of Jews are liberal. And the fact that Israel is pursuing a right-wing policy, unfortunately, people do not understand the, the existential threats that Israel is facing in the same way that we feel them. Uh, and they're embarrassed by some of the things like the Huara pogrom. And when they hear Minister Smotrich saying and then trying to correct it and then trying to correct it for the second time and then seeing that it doesn't work, so he tries to correct it the third time and then the fourth time, by the third time, you shouldn't believe any words that he's uh, saying and for good reason. But when he says, wipe Huara out and then explains, well, I don't mean that vigilante should do it. The state of Israel, the army should do it. That's terrible. Those who hear it say, if that's what the state of Israel is really standing for in terms of the aspirations of peace and coexistence, the reconciliation, <laughs> you know, that, but that is a systemic conflict. 
the area where we could try to make a difference is the reality in which we tell the young generation of American Jewry, as far as we are concerned, namely the state of Israel, you ain't really Jewish. And if you are somewhat Jewish, you're a second-class Jew. For instance, if you come to Israel, if you heed to our pleading, you know, and invitations, come, make Aliyah, etc., just please realize, in Israel, you won't be able to legally marry. You want to get married? You want to start a family? Go back home. Uh, and, and that, you know, telling this young generation that as far as Israel is concerned, you are not a full-fledged Jew and you're not going to be a first-class citizen, <laughs> whom in their right mind do you expect to feel strongly about the bond and the solidarity? So what are we? Are we going to be forced to, you know, go back to anti-Semitism as the glue that, that binds us together? What a terrible prospect. So, yes, when I'm traveling, I'm seeing less and less interest, less and less commitment, more and more people who are saying, we have a crisis here at our hands. We need to focus on that. And that's where our resources should go. And I do find, and that's what keeps me going and keeps me encouraged, I do find both rabbinic colleagues and uh, friends and activists who are saying Israel is too important to be left to those petty politicians. And they look at the protest in Israel and they are inspired and they feel there is actually, you know, a future, prospective future that we can work together to bring about. Uh, and and that encourages me, and that encourages them. Uri, we have to end now because otherwise we'll go back to terrible stuff. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Wednesday night's speech by President Isaac Herzog was called terrifying by some in that he strongly warned against a looming and very possible bloody civil war. Herzog explained that Israel is standing at a junction and that there is still time to change course. He even quoted from the Bible. In the meantime, a bright red line was painted on the road leading to the Supreme Court in Jerusalem on Wednesday night, ahead of Thursday's day of escalating resistance. Thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and thanks as always to my podcast partner, Jessica Steinberg, plus a hearty handshake to Mick Weinstein. Have a comment about what matters now? Drop us a line at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Enjoy this episode? Subscribe to What Matters Now wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.